just a quick reminder about the printable color charts by Barb Sodi Art. If you've not picked up a chart yet, be sure and do that. I'll talk just a little bit more about those with Barb in the middle of the show. The Color Pencil Podcast is brought to you by UART Premium Sanded Paper. What makes it different from other sanded papers? One thing is the way that the grain is applied to the paper. There is an electrostatic charge that pulls the grain up towards the paper and is applied from the bottom up. Why does that matter? Because it's an even distribution of the grain to the paper. And so you can have very fine grains like an 800 grade on the paper, a very velvety kind of touch to the paper. If you've never tried UART Santa paper before, then go over to the show notes, click on the link, and there are seven different grades to choose from. It comes in a beige and a dark, comes in sheets, pads, rolled and mounted boards. And we thank UART Santa paper for their support of the Colored Pencil podcast. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast. Weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. Hey there, welcome back to the show. My name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com. This is the Sharpened Artist Color Pencil Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you so much. And there's uh, a new standard, I guess, for podcasting, which is following podcast. So kind of a standard that Apple Podcast has now adopted. Been something that Stitcher and Spotify, I guess, they've been doing that for quite a while, where you follow the podcast and instead of subscribe, because subscribe now can refer to an actual subscription and paying for podcasts. So there will be a change that will be happening to this podcast sometime in the future. It's not right now, but uh, there will be uh, a change. And I want to just preface most of the things that I talk about then with regard to listening to the show with encouraging you to follow the podcast rather than subscribing to the podcast. But the video podcasts that I do, most of the video interviews, uh, probably all the video interviews that I've been doing over the past year, along with video podcasts that I do with Barb Sodiropoulos, they're all inside of Member Circle and they're over there early. So if you want to consume those early and ad-free, those are available over inside of Member Circle, part of Monthly Sharpener. All right, I want to talk to you today very quickly. This is a solo show. I want to talk to you about artistic limits. You have an art limit. I have an art limit. I have an artistic limit in my skill, ability, talent, whatever you whatever word you want to put in place there. The limit is between your two ears. The limit doesn't actually exist except for in our head. When you sit down and you start a new art piece, there's a lot of things going on in your head about your ability to execute on whatever this vision is that you have in your head when you sit down. You think about, I do this as well, I'm talking about all of us as, as artists. I'm thinking about the things that I've done in the past. 
sometimes, you know, I guess it's a good thing to look back, to look at what we've done in the past, and to help think about what we may be doing in the future. There are other times it can be a hindrance to us. If we're looking back with regret, maybe on how the last piece went and we didn't like how it went, then that's not a good thing. That isn't something that's going to propel us forward, is it? If I look back and I think of some of the success that I've enjoyed and I think about what went well and how something worked out well and how I can do more of whatever the thing was that worked well and replicate that over and over again, then that's a good thing to do. That's a good way to look backwards. But too often, I think we're looking back with regret. And so I want to encourage you to look forward and to think about what is possible in this new project? What is it that's possible now? And learning from mistakes is a good thing. Looking back to learn from the mistakes, but don't dwell on the past. We need to be looking forward and looking at what might be possible in the future and not looking backwards. So I want to encourage you to just persevere in that way. Now, you might be familiar with this documentary. Um, I think it's a really good documentary. It's uh, called Tim's Vermeer. It was recorded back uh, around 2013, I believe. There's an inventor. He's the, the founder of Tim Jennison. He's the founder of a tech company called New Tech. Um, they do uh, computer graphics and different things related to that. Anyway, he is, he's just a curious guy, okay? And he got curious about how was it that Vermeer could paint so realistically before photography, before there was anything that, you know, any advancement in optics like we have today. How was he able to do that in the 17th century? So he got very interested in this and went on this quest, trying to figure out, you know, how did Vermeer do this? How was he able to replicate something that looked like reality so very well when he didn't have the benefits that many artists do today of photography? And, you know, it's been theorized that uh, he probably used a camera obscura and so it did, you know, probably he used some optics in uh, his painting technique, which I think is probably true. And what Tim finally decided was that, you know, he he was able to replicate. He's not a painter. You know, he's just um, he's a tech inventor. And he was able to, in his mind, at least replicate what he feels like was pretty similar to. Uh, a Vermeer painting by using a 45-degree angle on a small mirror so that he was able to see the room, a replica of the room that um, looks like the painting, and he set it up the same way, and he was able to then look and judge you know, colors and values based on that, looking in the mirror so that he's placing it above in a fixed position above his canvas while he's painting, okay? That's, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything else about it if you want to check out the film. Um, I think it's fascinating. But there's a couple of things that, um, you know, Tim said in there that I thought were, were kind of funny. But I, I think about, you know, and, and he uh, was overcome with joy and excitement. And uh, 
Uh, and he actually cried. It brought him to tears, which he was just moved by everything happening. And that just the connection with that piece of history also, I think, is, was a big part of it. I, it's been a few years, I have to admit, uh, since I saw the film, but I did enjoy it. And if you're an artist, I think you would enjoy it. When I think about my own art limits, though, they're, they're in my mind. It's things that go on in my head that limit me. It really, I think, uh, and the reason why I, I feel that way, or the reason why I reason that is because when I reverse engineer the breakthroughs that I've had and some things that I've been able to accomplish, it's because of uh, what I've, you know, I'm looking at those things and it's because of my understand. It's it's some enlightened understanding about something that has allowed me to push forward in a new direction in a better way in certain areas. Okay. Now, we, I, and I could tell you the particulars on it, but I don't want to bore you with that. I don't know that it would, um, I don't, I don't even know if anyone would be interested in that, but for me, it was interesting. It was areas that I thought, um, about a lot. And I thought, ah, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to improve in this area. And then I was, uh, thinking about that particular aspect of my art, obsessed over it, some would say, because I thought about a particular area that I wanted to improve in. And then I practiced a little bit in, uh, that particular space or within that area of weakness. And then I thought more about it. I put pen to paper, so to speak. I applied what I was learning. I thought more about the areas where I'm having trouble with it. I researched some more, thought more about it, and kept trying, kept working at it, kept putting in the reps, and kept just doing it and focusing, hyper-focusing, nearly obsessing over the things I felt weak in, felt inadequate in, and I I decided I was going to make that something that I was stronger in. And lo and behold, it, it worked. It came true. Uh, the areas that I obsessed over, the areas that I wanted to improve in, I focused on and I was able to improve in those areas. Now, does that mean I'm perfect? No, of course not. But I'm trying to level up in a number of different areas. And I've noticed that though, when I focus on those areas and when I think a lot about them and notice them, notice what's going on, then I'm able to really pay attention to that, measure it, if you will, and figure out what will work going forward. If you think about something within your artistic development that you don't like right now, Maybe it's something you can't put your finger on if you start trying to put your finger on it. If you start trying to define it, you start trying to figure out why is it that I can't do X or why is it that it seems difficult for me to accomplish X and you start focusing on that, something happens in our brain and it becomes an easier thing to do once we focus on it. Now, I'm very convinced of that. Now, I, I could sit here and tell you some of the things, you know, that um, are 
uh, areas where I want to improve in the future. And you've probably got some areas that you want to improve in in the future as well. Now, it wasn't long ago that someone said to me something about subjectivity and objectivity and relating that to an art piece and saying that, oh, technically this was done really, really well. You know, if something is done because you have a preference on a look or a style, then that's one thing. But to look at it objectively and to say, oh, the values are all correct and the colors are all correct. I'm using air quotes here. Even using that word, uh, saying that word correct. We're making a subjective statement by saying something is objective. In our opinion, then for that particular thing we're talking about, our opinion is that something is objective or something is without any kind of prejudice, bias, partiality. And we're saying that, uh, no, this is an objective thing that I'm looking at this particular thing. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt that this particular piece of art uh, is X, that it, it has passed the test on whatever it is you want to subject it to. And you can say, okay, that that one passed. <laughs> and And I was impartial when I made that determination. To me, that's laughable. That's laughable. But some really believe that. It wasn't all that long ago somebody said, well, if you're changing the photo, you're changing the way that the individual looks, the person looks from the photo, and uh, doesn't look like that person anymore, then how can you say that you have replicated a photo? Or how can you teach someone to replicate a photo? And really my response to that is, is I'm sorry, I, I don't teach that. I don't teach people to replicate a photo. I teach people to replicate a likeness. The Color Pencil Podcast is brought to you by UART Premium Sanded Paper. There are so many different advantages to using a sanded paper, such as using lighter pencils like white over dark areas. That's just one of the advantages. So that flexibility allows you to keep on layering over and over again. If you've never tried sanded paper before, go over to the show notes and click on the link to get your first batch of UART Premium premium sanded paper. And we thank UART for their support of the Color Pencil Podcast. Barb, let's talk for a second about these color charts. Yeah, the biggest advantage to having these charts is that most color pencil artists, once you start getting into colored pencil, it becomes a bit of an obsession. So, you know, you start getting all the brands and it can be really hard to keep them straight. And I find even for myself, there are certain brands I tend to use more in my artwork, but every now and then I want to venture out or a certain color pencil line has a, a slightly different color. So having these charts for me just makes it really easy to reference that and grab the right color and forget the guesswork because even the barrel of the pencil isn't necessarily accurate to what the pencil looks like when you actually use it. So right. what, what I find is really helpful about this because you're filling them in yourself with the pencils that you own, you're getting a really accurate 
color representation. No need for having a scrap piece of paper all the time now beside you while you're working. You just have to reference your chart, just have to fill them in, do the work once, and then you have it as a resource for you over and over again. Awesome. So go over to the show notes and we'll have a link set up for you over there. So getting back to Tim's Bamir, he says something that I, I just have to disagree and, and it almost makes me laugh. And I hit, you know, and I, I'm not in a, I'm not trying to poke fun or anything like that, but he, and I'm going to mess up the quote, but he says something like, you know, the fall off of light when he's looking at the wall, the back wall, there's light coming in from a window in the painting. And he says, the fall off of light is something that an artist really cannot see. I disagree with that entirely. Do we all see the same way? Clearly we don't. My interpretation and my uh, way of viewing a particular subject is totally different. Not to Maybe I, I could take out the word totally, right? Take out all the intensifiers, but I could also just say then that my way of looking at something is different than your way of looking at something. Okay? I hope you agree with that. You know, I mean, there are different, uh, there, there's a different filter system that you're using than what I'm using. So do we all see the same way? No, we don't. I can be looking at the same subject you're looking at. But why is it that I can have a workshop and we're all drawing the same thing, but we all come up with a different, a different outcome? Well, someone says, well, someone's skill, the technical skills are different. Yes. Okay. I, yeah, I, I'll give you that. True. And we're all, um, you know, people, we, we all make mistakes. Yes. I'll give you that. What else, though? We interpret things differently. We view things differently. My interpretation of what I'm seeing and the way that I filter what I'm seeing is different than the way you're filtering what you see. And this is the reason why I have such a problem with saying, okay, yes, objectively, this is what you need to do in this area. Anytime I ever say that to a student, that yes, this is what needs to happen in this area, uh, I'm looking at your work, I'm critiquing your work, and I'm telling you, this is what you need to do. Yes, I'm saying that. But you know what? That is a subjective statement. It's my opinion every time. Does that mean I'm right? No, but I'm right about my opinion, yes. But it doesn't mean there's a right and a wrong related to my interpretation or your interpretation of what we're both looking at. Now, that doesn't work really well, does it? When we're talking about rules on the road, they're like, oh, I interpreted the, the line differently than what you interpreted I, I saw a solid yellow. You saw uh, dotted, you know, you saw spaces between that yellow. That doesn't work. But so I'm talking about minor, small, in, nearly imperceptible differences in the way we're looking at things. Doesn't work really well when I say, I saw a red stop sign. And the other person says, no, I saw a yellow yield. 
we better have some agreement in those areas. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something so much more subjective. I disagree with with Tim Jennison saying that we can't see that like that. Artists can't see that way. Yes, I, I can. You can. I know. If you're listening today, I know that if you're married to a spouse that is not an artist and you look up in the sky and you say, aha, I see pink and silver and orange and blue and purple and yellow and and the list goes on and on and your spouse looks over there and say, what, 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 what are you looking at? All I see is a blue sky or all all I see is white clouds. Yeah, I didn't crawl into your head. I go through that as well. Here's another thing that is said in the um, the movie. Um, he, he said something about we can't perceive light that way. He he was talking about light and how how um, you know the painting was done. He he's saying you know we we just can't perceive light that way. Yeah, we we can. Artists can do that, Tim. I'm sorry to disagree. And he also suggested that. He says there has to be some kind of mechanical means. There had to be some mechanical means uh, that Vermeer used to get the colors to be correct, quote unquote. I don't agree at all. Artists do see that way. We see more. We enjoy the life that we're given. We enjoy the things around us even more. We see and appreciate nature more than most, I feel like just because of our perception and the way that we look at life around us. Now, there's some fantastic things that were accomplished by Vermeer, and he probably paved the path for so many more artists after him because of his ability to see and render things so much more realistically than what had been done prior. But you know, that, that's the way it always is. Until we do something that we didn't think was possible, I'm talking about uh, humankind, okay? Then we sort of open up the floodgate. But it also happens individually. Before it's ever done, we kind of think it's impossible. No one ever thought that it would be possible for anyone to run a four-minute mile until Roger Bannister did it in 1954. Some would argue that, oh, well, maybe James Parrott did it back in 1770. But the point still is, okay, even if that happened, why would it take hundreds of years for someone to run the four-minute mile? Some would argue it took thousands of years for someone, somebody, a human, to run a four-minute mile. Why? Why was that? So let's theorize. Was it because... Um, it was just so difficult and we didn't know all of the things that, that, uh, Roger Bannister knew. And then once he found those things out, he shared it with the rest of us. And then he told other athletes and then they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. I'll do that. Because remember after that achievement, the next person to run the four minute mile did it in only two months, two months after Bannister did it, it was done again. And now it's sort of a standard. The record for a four-minute mile has been broken over 1,400 times as of this recording, probably more than that. Now, why? 
Was it because no other athletes learned that technique? It was a mystery up until that time? No, not at all. It was because there was a psychological barrier. Bannister broke down that psychological, that mental barrier that others had as well. And so by accomplishing this feat, there was a psychological or a mental barrier that was, that was knocked over in everyone else's mind as well. Listen to me. It's exactly what can happen with you in any art limit you have. Now, I know you may think you're not capable of creating some of the artwork that you look up to and and that you drool over and you think is just the greatest thing ever. But I'm here to tell you that you are. You can create. You can become the artist you most look up to. You can become the artist you most envy. You can become the artist that you think is possible. You can do that. Not by looking backwards, but by looking ahead. And then asking yourself, looking at your past piece for a moment, but then looking ahead quickly. But look at that past piece for a second and just ask yourself, why did I do that? Why didn't I do this instead? And then in your next piece, say, I'm not going to make that same mistake. You know, if you call it a mistake, I'm going to pursue something better this time. I'm going to progress. I'm going to persevere. A lot of, I tell you what, 99% of the time, I'll tell you what it was with me. When I started just telling myself, okay, I'm not stopping until I'm done. I'm not going to stop until I'm really done. I'm not going to stop just because I feel like I've spent too long on this piece. I'm not going to stop until it reaches that spot that I want. Some would call that perseverance, right? It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Okay. Perseverance. And that's really what's lacking in the beginning is perseverance. Or at least it was for me. Maybe it is for you. Or maybe it was for you. Maybe you're past that. Maybe it's some other barrier. But I'll tell you, for me, that's what it was. A lot of what it was, was just being patient, just sticking with something long enough. Even though I'm tired of it, I'm going to stick with it because, because I've gotten tired of this piece. I've gotten tired of looking at it. I have moved on mentally. It's the same thing that goes on in an athlete's mind. You're brain, your mind gives out before your body ever gives out. But if you tell yourself, if I keep going, if I persevere, then good things will happen. I like the, um, the definition that Newt Gingrich uh, gives for perseverance. He says, perseverance is the hard work you do after you get tired of doing the hard work you already did. Perseverance. Sticking with it, even after you're tired of it, stick with it. Why? Because it will pay you back in spades. It will pay you back over and over and over again if you stick with it. And you can do it. Whatever barrier 
you have going on in your artwork, I'm going to tell you it has less to do with your ability to take a pencil or a paintbrush or whatever it is you're using and apply that to your surface than it does a mental barrier in your mind. That's where the real problem and challenge is. It's in our mind. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the podcast, this comes out every single Monday. And you can listen or you can follow us on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Would you like to hear the show ad-free and early? You can get that over in Monthly Sharpener if you become part of Members Circle. And there's a whole lot more going on over there in Member Circle than I really have time to even talk about right now, but it's um, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. It does cost. It's a monthly subscription. You can cancel any time. You can do it for one month. See if it's right for you. If not, cancel. All right. I will talk to you again next week. And until then, take care and stay sharp. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.